0: Previously on the Fulcrum Radio Show, you
1: know, back in September, that's when you know they mentioned to me by email they would trap him. And before that, we got an email saying the beaver is going to stay. We love Lester the beaver, and that's really
0: it. It all started at the S- S- Stittsville Central.
2: Yeah, well, well, Catherine reached out to me about the beaver issue. Was I aware that it was happening? And then we went from there, and it grew and grew and grew. And we
0: and so if the city says that they're relocating the beavers. Is that possible, or, or is it...
3: That essentially,
2: and I'll call it as it is, it's a lie. The city does not relocate beavers and... F-
3: this tree used to be on a nearby street, northwestern, and was cut down by a developer. Um, the property is actually still empty. 11 years... Uh, when was it? 2011, so that's uh, 10 years ago. Now, I I want to ask
0: you... Does the city of Ottawa have a problem killing beavers?
4: Do we have a problem killing beavers? Well, um, we actually, I mean, we value beavers uh, very highly. We value the habitat they create.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Fulcrum Radio Show. This is the second episode in a special three-part investigative series on the City of Ottawa's yearly trapping and killing of beavers. If you haven't listened to the first part first, go back and listen to that, and then come and catch up with us after. The City of Ottawa traps and kills beavers every year, Last year, the city of Ottawa spent more than $150,000 on trappers. What seems like it could be a very simple story is actually an incredibly twisted and wild tale, where there seems to be a lot of conflicting viewpoints. This story first came back into the spotlight when an article on September 27th, 2021 was published in the Stittsville Central by Leslie McKay. The article was titled, The City of Ottawa Needs to Stop Killing Beavers. Now in the first part of this trilogy, we met with Rob Grant out near Leicester Road, Donna Dubray from the Ottawa Carlton Wildlife Center, We met Nick Stowe, he's a planner with the City of Ottawa, and we traveled out to the Trans-Canada Trail to meet the Stittsville landkeepers. That's Anne Swanwick, Leslie McKay, and Catherine Clysdale. We're going to start this episode with the City Councilor for Stittsville, Mr. Glenn Gower. Thank you for taking the time to meet with me, Glenn. Absolutely. Uh, now, if we could just start off, I
5: wanted to ask you, could you tell me about Stittsville? Stittsville. Okay. Well, Stittsville is the westernmost suburb in the city of Ottawa. Uh, the history of Stittsville goes way back to the early 19th century when it was first established as a as a small central uh, town to or village to uh, uh, serve many of the surrounding farm areas. Um, late in the 19th century, they started to build a, a railway through the town, and and that really was uh, one of the economic drivers for Stittsville for many years. In the 1990s, they took that railway, railway line out and replaced it with the Trans-Canada Trail, which is right now a super popular bike trail through the community. And um, for a while, Stittsville was quite isolated from the rest of Ottawa. But as the years have gone on, it's uh, become a part of the amalgamated city of Ottawa. Is a thriving, growing community with uh, some incredible diversity that we're seeing right now as it continues to grow.
0: And now you started the Stittsville Central, is that correct?
5: Yes, I did back in uh, 2014, I believe, and I ran it for about, uh, I guess, about four years up until when I ran for office in 2018.
0: Okay, so you're not a part of it anymore.
5: No, I'm not. No.
0: Okay, so I, I wanted to ask you, there was an article that appeared in the Stittsville Central on September 27th uh, from Leslie McKay, who wrote that the city of Ottawa has a problem killing beavers. Is that true? Uh,
5: I don't remember the article. So I know she had spoken to me or interviewed me about some of the, she had some questions about how the city manages beaver populations. So if if that's the one that you're you're talking about but i'm not sure what she would have meant by the city has a has trouble
0: so they're not quite in your riding yeah right but uh pool creek that's a major that's kind of like the trans canada trail that's runs through Stitsville. and that's yeah
5: well uh so pool creek crosses Almost diagonally through through the ward, not quite uh not quite east-west, not quite north-south. Kind of cuts a diagonal swath through Stittsville. And then when it reaches the westernmost um boundary of Stitsville, that's when it crosses into Rideau Goldberg ward. And um uh, Pool Creek, like most creeks uh, and streams in uh, around the edges of Ottawa, it's a uh, really popular habitat for beavers. So we actually have several small beaver uh, populations or colonies. I'm not sure how, how you refer to it, but along the creek at different points on Pool Creek in Stittsville, as well as Feed Mill Creek, which crosses from Stittsville into Canada North. Uh, it's really attractive habitat for beavers. And then heading further west of the built-up area of Ottawa, you get into the uh, Goulburn Wetlands and some of the other wetland complexes and uh, a lot of farmland with a lot of streams and ditches and uh, tends to make for really, really attractive habitat for the beaver population.
0: Now, I've spoken to some of the residents and they tell me that the the beavers are disappearing, or the city is trying to trap them. Would is that true?
5: Uh, in some cases, yes. So when there is a conflict between uh, beavers and infrastructure, uh, then the city often has a responsibility to. Uh, make sure that that's resolved. So uh, there are a lot of cases where we'll get calls from residents with concerns. Uh, there's a spot on Pool Creek, for example, near Huntmar Drive, and uh, there's a, a very active group of beavers there that build. Uh, build a dam They have been building a dam and improving on their dam for a number of years. We've had calls from residents and city goes in to check it out. If there's no conflict with any kind of infrastructure, no concern about flooding, then the, uh, they leave the beavers be. And for the most part, uh, that's the, that's the approach, leave the beavers alone and let them do their thing. Um, there are few spots in Ottawa where, uh, there have been issues where, um, the, the beaver activity does cause issues because it can flood uh, roads. It can flood uh, uh, important infrastructure, uh, private property, and so on. And there are some cases where, where the city does have to find a solution. Um, for, I think, as long as I'm aware of, uh, often the city uses uh, trappers. Uh, in some cases, they can relocate the beavers. In some cases, unfortunately, the beavers have to be killed. Uh, But what the city is moving to, there's a pilot that just started this fall, is um, uh, there's different names for this, beaver deceivers or beaver bafflers. It's um, a technique to basically trick the beavers into um, uh, they, they build their dams, but it doesn't. Cause uh, a situation where it's backing up and causing flooding or or damaging infrastructure. So there's uh, two pilot locations right now: one in Canada North, and one out in the East End along the old uh, Prescott Railway near a, a city park, I believe. That are being run as pilot projects and you know i'm really hopeful if those are successful and they are uh, doing what they're supposed to that's something the city could roll out more more broadly across other conflict locations yeah. i know there's uh, a few other municipalities that have been doing this uh, a little further ahead of the game than Ottawa, so and they've had some success with that, so uh, that's encouraging. And I hope that we're going to see the same kind of success here. And it's a, a practice or a policy that we can start to change here in the city.
0: Now, is there a reason that we're they're not going to put any of those beaver deceivers or beaver bafflers in Pool Creek?
5: Uh, I'm not sure why they didn't choose that that location over others. Um, they, they've they chosen two locations where they've had beaver conflicts before, issues with beavers before, that uh, that I think they consider would be um, easy ones to test out, where it'd be easy to demonstrate success. Uh, I think there may have been concerns out with the location further west along Pool Creek that some of the difference in elevation between the... Uh, um, between the, the different levels of the, the creek and so on might not have been as conducive to a successful pilot project. So I think the approach is do it at a spot where there's a good chance to success and work out any kinks or any issues, and then expand from there into maybe some of the more challenging areas. We'll come back to
0: Glenn Gower in a minute. Let's go back out to the Trans-Canada Trail and meet with the Stittsville landkeepers in Pool Creek. That's Ann Swanwick, Leslie McKay, and Catherine Clysdale.
2: When they came back to, to dig this out, they did not close the trail that day. So I, in fact, saw the backhoe.
0: Do we know what this part of the trail is called? Or is there a name?
2: We just call it the, lo- the, uh, the, the co- lookout? lookout culverts, you know. The, the... But the municipal drain that they put in, as I understand it, is way out there somewhere. And that's what called, like somebody said, it was like over into the night, somebody pulled the plug on a bathtub, and the water disappeared. It was. Mm-hmm. And others said, oh, it was an aquifer. Oh, and it. The plug on it. When it happened? It was overnight. <laughs> I remember it was overnight. I don't yep. remember when, but... Uh, well, Anne says 2009. Yeah, yeah. it, it was a that. long time I came, ago. I came out, and well, I was Well, do you know, Nick, Well, Sylvie's pictures do you yeah. were 2011. So I said, "Okay, yeah." Yeah, yeah in in the book that it. I've got, and it shows. She had it before and after. Yeah, yeah, it showed this with all the water. Yeah. And then six weeks later, this was bone dry. You can just catch the top of a stump out there. Can you see it? Yeah, there used to be. Yeah. Right there. Can you see it? I think
4: so. It's gray.
2: Well, we can go out on the lookout. Yeah. Because the water was hard oh, yeah, there. There, yeah. you can there see it the is, stump right there. there.
4: Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay,
2: that was sitting out on dry land six weeks later. That's what the city's drain did, which, by the way, they deny. They say their drain had nothing to do with that.
0: Just coincidence.
2: Absolutely. Happens a lot. Yeah. Anyway. I wish we could just rip all these stupid drains out and take it back to what it was. That's what I want. I think nowadays they would not be allowed to put a municipal drain in a wetland but the law was such at the time i'm sure i read somewhere and i can't find it again but 2014 15 that law was changed they could not do that again but prior to that there were beaver dams all along the trail like walking up the creek it was active there were beaver dams holding back the water never ever ever flooded yeah never ever no. Oh, no, And... It's got hot, but it's never went over. No. Now,
0: let's go back to Nick Stowe again. Remember, he's the city planner. Okay, so it's is it not just a... Are, are we not
4: trying to drain the wetland? No. In fact, the uh, uh, the Hazeldean Municipal Drain, um, the, the engineer's report, uh, so maintenance of that drain... Um, uh... is done in accordance with an engineer's report and the engineer's report actually includes provisions for the protection of uh... the upper pool creek wetland so, uh... that drain is actually intended to primarily to drain agricultural lands to the north of Hazeldean road outside the uh, uh... the upper pool creek wetland but it does flow through the upper pool creek wetland and then out through stitsville The Drain Engineer's Report limits the maintenance activities on that drain to, I believe it's 5% of its length per year. So you can only go in and and do work on 5% of its length to remove obstructions. And the Engineer's Report does not allow any change in the grade of the drain. Um, So you can't deepen it, you can't widen it, um, you can't take measures that would result in the draining of that, that wetland. What you can do is remove obstacles, which does include uh, beaver dams in this case. And we've had past problems on that drain um, where it crosses under the the Trans-Canada Trail uh, with the blockage of the culvert there and flooding and damage to the trail itself.
0: Okay, so now I think we're all pretty well all caught up with what's going on. We know the who's who and kind of everybody's position. So let's get into it. This is where we start to ask the real questions. Here's Glenn Gower again, the city councillor for Stittsville. Now, the Ottawa Carleton Wildlife Center says that uh, the areas that were chosen for these beaver baffles aren't going to produce good results and we should have put them in places like pool Creek. Is there a response that you would have to that?
5: Well, I'm, I'm not sure how to respond to that because the um, the, the biologists the, the nature specialists working with the city um, have chosen spots that they believe will be successful. So I think there's a difference of opinion on that. And, and, you know, I'm not sure why there's a difference of opinion between the two. Um, I'm just uh, hopeful that whatever site is, chosen and any future sites will be successful do you have any
0: idea when when a trapper comes along and they have to set traps do you know how much that costs
5: there's a cost to the city um, I'm not sure what it is it's something you could check with city staff on I know that they've shared uh, previously with the public I don't have I don't have that amount in front of me it's in the tens of thousands of dollars a year that is used for contracting out for uh, for for trappers for trappers licensed by the uh, Ontario Ministry of the Environment.
0: Okay, uh, in the article Leslie McKay wrote, she says the city spent one hundred and fifty six thousand dollars on trappers
5: last year. It it could be. I know it's it's in that range somewhere. Yes.
0: And so let's see what Nick Stowe has to say about that. Now, the Ottawa Carlton Wildlife Center says that there are better alternatives out there with flow devices and beaver baffles, uh, but they say that the city of Ottawa's almost refused to use
4: them. Is that true? No, um, but there are limits on where they can be used. And again, it comes back to that issue of that, that meter and a half of water. The whole point of... Uh, uh, you know the beavers building a dam so they can have a meter and a half or more of water to overwinter successfully. Anything less than that they may not be able to get to their food pile in the winter and they could starve to death. Um, that meter and a half of water uh, is a problem at locate, at certain locations. Um, flow devices are designed to, uh, to maintain uh, the water level in a beaver pond at an acceptable level. So it doesn't pose a risk to infrastructure. Um, But it still has to be that meter and a half. And if we, uh, if that meter and a half would overtop a road or it would saturate a road bed and result in the heaving of the pavement uh, in the wintertime, you know, freezing and thawing, it'll heave the pavement, Um, then we can't use a flow device at that location.
0: Okay, so by this point, we've got a lot of differing and conflicting points of view. When I walked through Pool Creek with the Stittsville landkeepers, they pointed out a lot of things to me. When I tried to get some direct answers from both the city councilor and the city planner, it seemed like there was a little bit of mixed messaging going on. So that's when I called Mike Callahan. He's from the Beaver Institute in Massachusetts. Mike is pretty much the most expert individual in North America on beavers, so you'd think if anyone had a beaver problem, they would call him first. And if they didn't call him, where are they getting their information from? Here's Mike Callahan. All right, well, uh, Mike, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me today.
1: Yes, you're welcome. I'm happy to.
0: Can you tell me about the Beaver Institute?
1: sure uh the beaver institute is a nonprofit that was uh, established here in my home state of massachusetts back in 2017 and i founded it with the goal of trying to raise awareness and about the value of beavers on the landscape and to help spread knowledge about ways that we can manage uh, to keep them on the landscape and resolve conflicts. Um, It kind of came out of my 20 year or so history of working with beavers in my private business, Beaver Solutions, where we install water control devices that um, resolve flooding conflicts for uh, property owners. And we're, and a big part of what the Beaver Institute does is we're training people to do this type of work across North America in both the U.S. and in Canada. So it's uh, it's pretty rewarding. We have 35 people in the training or who have uh, graduated from it with a goal of getting 100 by the end of next year uh, trained. So um, I think five, we have people in training um, or graduated in five or six uh, provinces right now. Now,
0: are beavers
1: like, uh, so you're you're familiar with what's going on in Ottawa, right? Oh, I've, I've hear, heard things, yeah. I've actually done a little bit of work uh, years ago putting in a few devices up in Ontario. So, yeah, I've been aware of the situations up there for a while.
0: And and where did you put in those devices?
1: Um it was like three different towns, Cornwall. We did a couple, um, and I I'm blanking on the names of the other two towns, but yeah, yeah that, that was probably eight years ago. It was a while ago.
0: Now you've done work everywhere.
1: Yeah, primarily here, and uh, I. Tr- Try to do most of the work within two hours of where I live here in Massachusetts. But yeah, I have over the years traveled, you know, Canada and across the US doing workshops and installing some devices.
0: So what sort of benefits do we get by having beavers around?
1: That's a good question. I mean, they I'm jealous of Canada because it's your national animal. (laughs) And for good reason. I mean, they're so they're they're called nature's engineers and what they do is they're second only to us humans in changing the environment to suit their own needs but because so they take small streams and they dam them up and they turn them into big impoundments and that serves their needs because they're well adapted to the water but what's happened is because beavers have been around for millions of years and doing this all sorts of other species have adapted to the environments that the beavers create so beavers are classified as a keystone species because they're just A myriad of plant, animal, insect species that need beaver ponds to exist, including lots of our endangered species. So one benefit of keeping beavers around, and this is probably what hooked me first with beavers, is that by keeping the beaver around, we're actually doing the best thing we can do for biodiversity in North America. Uh, So that's one thing. But What's becoming increasingly obvious with scientific research over the past decade or two is that there's just tons of other benefits to having beavers and their ponds around. Uh, A lot of climate change benefits. You know, uh, while us humans are mucking up the climate and trying to not get our act together yet to bring down emissions, what beaver ponds do are many things that will help us preserve and lose less, and have less damage from climate change until we hopefully get our act together, not just biodiversity, but uh, you know, beavers are highly desired in arid reason, regions because the water that they store helps create fire breaks from wildfires. They create oases of plant and animal life that can then regenerate after a fire. The the burnt out areas, they um they are great beaver ponds are great nurseries for salmon and um the head of the salmon recovery for NOAA uh out in the pacific northwest told me if they just had more beaver dams they could delist the coho salmon that's what a great benefit they would have for salmon but uh you know other things like with left-
0: list do you mean take them off the endangered species list, yes,
1: sorry yes right yeah it they would uh that you know be salmon just grow faster and are more populous in these nur- nurseries of ponds that beavers create, uh, but there's more climate change benefits too, you know because there's less snowpack and less water and more droughts in many areas that storing these waters in the In the hills can help keep streams flowing later into the season, um, recharging the groundwater and aquifers. Um, So, so there, and in areas like mine, now our issue is here in the Northeast isn't uh, climate change drought, it's climate change heavy storms. And, you know, in Ontario, similar where we're seeing more. Real damaging flooding from big storms than we ever used to see, and by having a series beavers build series of dams on the on streams, the sto- so storm surges get slowed down and some of it stored so that downstream of these dams you typically have less flooding damage there was a great study that came out that showed that if if the city of Milwaukee would save millions of dollars in flood uh, control damage if there were more beaver dams upstream of Milwaukee so and, and that's typical that's uh so Yeah. So there's a lot of reasons how this one animal uh, has all these benefits and they do all this work for free. You know, they restore streams. We spend millions and millions of dollars trying to restore degraded streams and beavers do it essentially for free and they do it better than we do. So uh, so, yeah, that's why I'm so passionate about it, because to me, it's a no brainer that we need to have as many beavers on the landscape as we can tolerate without causing issues for people. Now let's go back to Glenn
0: Gower. Okay. And then what about, uh, do you know how many development applications there are right now in Stittsville?
5: Oh, I don't, but you could find out uh, there's a, um, a map on my website that shows development. I'm going to maybe anticipate what you're asking because I've I've heard this from some uh, from some folks asking if the city's trying for some reason to 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 drain the the wetlands out there in order to encourage development or allow development. And uh, I can say with absolute certainty the answer is no. Uh, that these are provincially significant wetlands. that offers the highest level of protection to wetlands. It would be um, Absolutely not allowed under provincial law to change those water levels of the wetlands in an effort to redevelop them. Um, when the city does uh, does uh, manage beaver populations, uh, there's very very strict regulations around that around what can and can't be done. And I think uh, I think if you, you look at anything that the city's done, including in the new official plan that we've we passed, there's a high priority on protecting. And enhancing wetland cover in our area because of the important bi- biological function that they play.
0: So, what is the Hazeldean Municipal Drain?
5: Hazeldean Municipal Drain is uh, um, I'll try to simplify this a little bit, but basically, it's a uh, um, a drain established on the Ontario Drainage Act uh, to provide a proper outlet for water from private property. In this case, it's some land. Ah, uh, closer to Hazeldean Road. On either side of Hazeldean Road, uh, to the north of the uh, Goulburn Wetlands.
0: Right. So that drain that's right there, it's not meant to drain the actual wetlands. It's just in the wetland.
5: Uh, that's right. The water throws flows through the wetland, but it's not uh, it's not draining the the wetland or the the marshy area itself.
0: Oh, okay, but why is it called
5: drain? It goes back to the uh, Municipal Drainage Act in the province of Ontario. Uh, Perhaps a a better word would be ditch or water complex. I I know what you're saying. I've often wondered if if drain is a little bit misleading. Uh, There's actually a great presentation on StittsvilleCentral.ca from when I used to be there about uh, the changing water levels in the wetlands west of Stittsville. And just about how they they change from decade to decade, from century to century, and uh, just the fluctuations back and forth due to beaver activity, due to human activity. Uh, It's a really good background if you're looking for some more information there. Um, In terms of of beavers, yes. I mean, they have been changing the landscape of the entire uh, area. Of, of rural area west of Stittsville for, for decades, for centuries. And uh, one of the things that stuck with me from chatting with some of the biologists of the city is just how healthy that beaver population is. This is a a thriving population of beavers in the Ottawa area and the rural area of Ottawa. So it's, it's uh, certainly not a case where these are endangered animals or, or uncommon animals. There's uh, you could, you could go up and down the pool Creek uh, feed mill Creek and uh, a good chance you could see, if not a beaver dam, some actual beavers themselves out around around dusk working on the uh, construction of their, their dams and their lodges and everything. It's it's actually pretty impressive to see the the quality and the, the quantity of work that they can do.
0: And let's go back to Nick Stowe.
5: And
4: who's responsible for maintaining the trail? Uh, the city is responsible for maintaining the trail and the city is responsible for... Uh, maintaining the municipal drain. Now, uh, I I went out to the park,
0: and uh, I I saw this sign here that Mm -hmm. says, uh, it's sort of a thank you to the Beast Snowmobile Club. Uh, The residents out there told me that the the Beast Snowmobile Club did a lot of uh, clear-cutting, which they're calling brushing, but uh, do you know anything about this?
4: I, I, I'm not familiar with uh, with our license for the uh, the snowmobile club along the Trans Canada Trail, so I, I can't address that. But okay. um, typically, where we have agreements with uh, snowmobile clubs, and we do have agreements, um, we you know it, those agreements set out what kind of work they can they can do. Um, they wouldn't need any clearing on the trail itself. That's uh, that's pretty, uh, pretty
0: well clear. no no but this is where so I took some photos it looks like they did really did do some clear cutting and uh, and so as you can see like there's quite a bit of trees that are no longer there and uh, and I, I just wonder why is the snowmobile Club in charge of this uh...
4: well I'm sorry I'm, I'm not familiar with the with the photograph Sort of work that's been done. I mean, I know the area, um, so I, I okay couldn't, couldn't tell you what to, why that work was done. Do you
0: know? Do we? We? You don't know if we pay them to do that.
4: Oh, absolutely not. No. Okay. Uh,
0: okay. Now another sign on the path uh, gives special cr- thank you, or uh, it, it showcases this beast snowmobile. Is it the beast or the skidoo? snowmobile company
5: uh yeah there's a, a snowmobile association um that uh the city partners with for maintenance and upkeep of the path they use that quite a bit during winter obviously and uh there's a number of of trails uh, across rural ottawa where the city has these partnerships with uh with the snowmobile association to do uh to do some of the maintenance some uh, pretty basic, cutting back of branches and, show, and so on to keep that that pathway free. So it not only benefits the uh, snowmobilers in the winter, but also all pathway users, walkers, uh, cyclists, by uh, keeping the keeping the trail maintained.
0: Now, does the city pay anything to the snowmobile co- group for doing that?
5: I'm actually not sure it, because it's a, more of a rural project than than suburban. Uh, I'm not sure what the, if there's a financial arrangement or or how that would work.
0: Oh, um, interesting. Uh, some of the residents I spoke to say that there isn't any control when that group goes in there and they're not trained to do it. And they allege that they're really just clear cutting the trail.
5: Well, I know some residents had some concerns about the quality of the work earlier this summer. Uh, it is done under the oversight and supervision of the city. It's through the city's roads department. Uh, that that's uh, responsible for working with uh, the group, and uh, there were some concerns that residents had about the cleanup, about the quality of the work, and the city staff went back with the volunteers and made sure that that was that was fixed, that was cleaned up. So, um, anytime any resident has a concern about any kind of maintenance on the trail, safety issues or otherwise, uh, definitely invite them to call three one one, and the city's usually pretty quick to make sure that's addressed.
0: Yeah. Now I I was out that. That way the other day, I, I noticed a strange sign on the trail that said uh, there's a little notice. It says that the the pathway is reserved for future use in a transportation corridor and that they could use, lose the recreational purpose. Uh, is that is there a plan to take over that area?
5: No. Um, so oh, this is where I mentioned earlier, this is where the. Um, The train line used to go. It was a a via rail train most recently. Um, And in the 1990s, it was converted into a pathway, but it remains designated as a potential rail route. Uh, About three or four years ago, part of the route was considered as an alternative to bring the LRT out to Canada and Stittsville. But ultimately, they decided on a corridor that would run uh, closer to the Queensway. Uh, but it's still designated as a future rail route, a future transportation route. There is no near medium or long-term plan at this point to do anything there, but it is reserved as a potential line. Um, right now, the city's policy is if we ever do develop former rail routes for LRT or for transit, uh, part of that would have to include recreational paths, bike paths, and so on alongside of it. But there is absolutely no uh, nothing in the works or in the plans for that line right now.
0: Uh, then, okay, follow-up question. Uh, is there a plan to build uh, some sort of highway through the park?
4: Oh, sorry, what, what, are we talking, a park?
0: Yeah, so, sorry, through Pool Creek here. Now, there's another sign at the beginning of the, of the park that actually mm-hmm. says there's a notice that says that this park, uh, this pathway could be taken away at any time for a potential future uh, transportation corridor.
4: So the trail itself is a former railway. Okay. And um, it retains its status as a uh, heavy railway line. Um, the city acquires railway lines like this um, in case we should ever need them in the future for uh, for light rail traffic high-speed rail something of that sort Um, there are no plans for for this trail anytime soon Um, but we do hold on to those just in case we uh, we should need them sometime in the future and in the interim we do use them as as trails Okay.
0: Now, uh, you don't know how many development projects there are in Stittsville right now.
4: Well, I know, I know some of the development projects in Stittsville.
0: Okay. They wouldn't want to build anything on the wetlands, would they? Uh,
4: well, they're not permitted to build on the wetlands because those wetlands are provincially significant. So both provincial and city policy say that there will be no development or site alteration in provincially significant wetlands. So they can't.
0: Now that we've really went into the weeds with all that back and forth and who knows or who doesn't seem to know what's going on, remember in the first episode, Anne Swanwick mentioned this guy.
2: Actually, there's an interview with Ken McRae online somewhere where he said this is the first step in draining the wetland.
0: And who is Ken McRae?
2: He is an environmental activist. You can Google him and.
0: Well, let's meet Ken McRae.
6: Uh, hello, sir. What's your name? Ken McRae. And uh, Ken, where are we right now? Uh, we're on the uh, Trans Canada Trail, uh, west of Stitsville, uh near the Jenkinson Road. Uh, now, can you tell me about this wetland? Uh, it's 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 been here uh, before the uh, the quarry started operations uh, uh, to the, uh, the north of the, uh, the marsh wetland. Uh, the uh, uh, quarry uh, originally was owned by Dibley Construction, and uh, they started it uh, in the uh, 1970s. And uh, it hasn't really been in operation for the past 15 or so years. The, uh, the wetland here, it's uh, home to uh, beavers, muskrats, uh, uh, turtle species, including species at risk, and uh, also uh, numerous uh, uh, bird species, great blue heron, uh, rail species, songbirds, ducks, and also uh, it's uh, got uh, species of frogs, And uh, snakes so with this uh, wetland here you can see the channel going off in the distance there Uh, so when uh, uh, Dibley uh, originally opened up the uh, the quarry uh, they put a channel through the uh, the wetland that can be very clearly seen on aerial photos on Geo Ottawa over previous years And uh, they used that channel for their uh, dewatering of the quarry. And uh, and then the water would pass on through the concrete box culvert here under the former Canadian Pacific Railway Line, that's now the Trans-Canada Trail, and then go further on downstream. When's the last time you saw beavers here? Uh... I haven't been here uh, as much uh, this past year as uh, in other years. Uh, uh, last year I saw beavers, I, I photographed them uh, a number of times here. Yeah. The city back in 2012, I think the photos I sent you showed, uh, put in this beaver baffler pipe here uh, because the beavers had been Blocking up the uh, the culvert here as you can see and uh uh for some years the uh, city had just been would periodically from time to time have a backhoe come along the trail and it would clear out the beaver debris like there and, and put it off to the side to open up the culvert and uh then in 2012 the uh, city decided to try putting in a beaver baffler here and uh, unfortunately it, it wasn't a success. So they they wound up uh, removing the part of the uh, beaver baffler pipe on the downstream side of the uh, trail culvert and uh, you can still s- see that little bit of bright green there. Mm-hmm. You can still see where there's a bit of the pipe there
0: and uh, so how long was that beaver baffler here, did you say?
6: Uh, I'm not sure exactly when they uh, gave up on it and uh, removed the uh, the part on the downstream side. Uh, it was uh, uh, the part on the upstream side. Uh, I, th- I think uh, the pipe is, at least part of it is still there. I saw uh, turtles basking on it, mm-hmm. using it as a basking log uh, last year. Uh, so the uh, when exactly they removed the uh, the part on the downstream side, I'm, I'm not sure.
0: Hmm. And why do you think
6: they took it away? Uh, because it wasn't working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so in one of the photos that I sent you there, it showed that the channel here, it goes through the culvert here, and then it curves off to the right, going through the vegetation there. Mm-hmm. And the... When the city first extended their beaver baffler pipe, they put it through straight and and then they curved it off to the left rather than going downstream. So then the beavers, they built a a new mud dam uh, further downstream, which uh, basically confounded uh, the city's pipe. And then the city extended the pipe either through or over I'd have to check my old photos uh, through that uh, new uh, uh, at that time uh, Beaver Dam uh, but the uh, it, it wasn't working I, I, I think that the uh, city's downstream end of the pipe was at too high an elevation because mm-hmm. water doesn't run uphill so I, I, I think if if they had uh, gotten a permit from uh, the Rideau Valley Conservation Authority to do a bit of a um, uh, an excavation to deepen the channel a bit there and and then put in uh, the pipe uh, I think they may have been more successful then mm.
0: now here's Nick Stowe again uh, i some of the residents that I've spoken to in some of these areas, uh, they say they quite like the beavers, and they've never seen the beavers uh, causing any destruction or, or flooding issues. Like, Is there a
4: response that you would say to that? Well, we don't trap beavers unless there is a reason to do so. The majority of beavers in Ottawa are never disturbed by, by the city at all. Um, but um, often, not oftentimes, but sometimes... Um, Uh, the beavers will build a dam and a lodge in a location that is a threat to city infrastructure or public safety. So um, they may, for example, block a culvert under a road or a rail track. And in that instance, um, you know, they build a dam, uh, they block a culvert because they need at least a meter and a half of water uh, to overwinter successfully, they uh, overwinter under the ice. They need to be able to swim between their lodge and their food pile, so they need a about a, a meter and a half or more of water, so it, they can they can do that. There are many places in the city where a meter and a half of water would overtop a road, it would overtop a a trail or a rail line, um, and uh, and cause damage to those to those structures and and possibly pose a safety risk. Um, the other the other instance is where we get beaver dams upstream of publicly used areas. And uh, it's important to understand all beaver dams eventually burst, uh, rupture, and if you get a sudden rupture of a beaver dam, you know, with you know, uh, with many tens of thousands of liters behind it, you can you could actually get a flash flood. Downstream that poses a risk to uh, tamper structure or public safety. And if you ever, you know, you can Google um, uh, beaver dam burst road, you can find all kinds of images where beaver, the rupture of beaver dams has caused substantial damage to, uh, to roads and railways and things like that.
0: So we fact checked that and we heard a part of this in episode one. But now that it's finally all come together again, let's see what Mike Callahan from the Beaver Institute has to say about that. Now, the city of Ottawa, I I talked to a senior city planner here and he told me that uh, the beaver dams can cause flooding. And you're saying that it's actually quite the opposite in some ways they can, they can really prevent worse flooding.
1: Yeah. I guess it comes down to your, definition you know of flooding well i guess what he's referring to is that yes beavers do impound water right they build dams and they turn a stream into an impoundment that's storing water now so long as that stored water isn't conflicting with roads or houses or other human land uses it's clearly a good thing to have that water stored and and then with And then when we do get a big storm you know these dams typically aren't filled to the top the ponds aren't filled to the top of the beaver dams so the beaver dams can act as sponges and holding back some of the runoff so that's what i meant by um, reducing flooding is downstream you have these less flooding damage because you're holding and slowing down the flow of water after a big event.
0: Hmm. Well, so here in Ottawa, uh, the city of Ottawa spent over $150,000 last year on trappers. Uh, and, and they're not sure of how many beavers they killed, but they they had to lethally remove f- quite a few of them, they say. Mm-hmm. Is there a better way that we could live with them? So whether or not these dams are stored or they impound the water, is there a way we can kind of live in harmony with the beavers and the dams? And
1: Usually. Not always, though. So I'm not one who will say that trapping is never an option. Um, in my experience, I will recommend it sometimes because these devices that we use aren't feasible everywhere. Um, unfortunately, sometimes we've developed floodplains and there's just no room to store any water for the beavers without causing property damage. So in those cases, unfortunately, due to you know, not uh development that was short-sighted, um the beavers are gonna pay the price. In my, you know, I've installed um about 1900 devices over the last 23 years um to resolve flooding conflicts so you know i can tell you they work you know my business we guarantee them that they'll work uh, when they're done properly and and they need very little maintenance like an hour per year so um it's something and the maintenance is something pretty much anyone can do so whenever possible that's what i'm recommending for resolving beaver conflicts because it's a long-term solution these devices will last more than a decade before the wire fencing needs replacing and when but when we we or others trap new beavers move in you know usually within a year or two you're right back where you started because the habitat hasn't changed it's still an attractive habitat for beavers to live in and and Young beavers moving out of their parents' ponds are looking for a place to set up shop and have a pond. And so they move into these trapped areas. So trapping is sh- is a short-term answer you lose the benefits of having the, be- the ecological benefits of having the beavers around and ultimately it costs more money i mean we did with the beaver institute we did a 20-year study in the town of bill rickham massachusetts that compared uh the cost of trapping uh, and versus trap the cost for installing and maintaining the flow devices and it was a no-brainer we had 55 sites 12 of them we had were managed by uh, trapping because there were sites where devices I didn't feel were feasible. And 43 sites we managed with the flow devices. And every, on average, we were saving the town $180 per site per year um, with the water control devices versus the cost of us trapping at those 12 sites. Mm. Um, and that doesn't even calculate any of the ecological benefits of cleaner water you know um the ecological services of um what turns out to be about 380 wetland acres that were created by these beavers so uh, so it really is a no-brainer from a cost point of view that whenever possible these devices are a better way to go than trapping
0: now uh to stay on flow devices a bit and just in terms of how they work, how much water or depth do you need in that pond in order for it to work?
1: It depends on the on what type of device we're using. You know, there are a variety of techniques we can use that will, um, to manage beavers in an area, uh, road culverts are a very common site that, uh, beavers will, Dam up. You know, basically, to the beavers, a roadbed with a pipe going through it, a culvert pipe is a hole, as a dam with a hole in it. And with a little bit of work plugging up that pipe, the whole roadbed becomes a dam. So they love going after those. And we can put fencing on the culvert that will keep the water at the original level and discourage beavers from damming on it because it turns what's an ease the fence turns what is the easiest place to make a dam into the hardest place to make a dam so they'll leave it alone so in those cases we don't need any depth if we're just putting a fence on a culvert Um, if we are putting a pipe through a beaver dam then we typically want to have a meter about three feet of water depth somewhere in that pond where we can submerge our pipe into because we put fencing around the intake of our pipe so that the beavers can't get at it to plug it up nor can they feel any water going into through that fencing because the fence is built big enough five feet in diameter six feet in diameter so that even when the pipe's flowing full tilt the beaver swimming by the outside of our fence can't feel or hear any water so they don't leave they don't try to dam that up because they don't know there's a pipe in there so the with the pipes we need about three feet the culvert fences we don't need any special depth for and there's a few other techniques, too, but that those are the most common.
0: Now, a city planner here told me that in this one area, Pool Creek, outside Stittsville, uh, the pool isn't a meter and a half. It doesn't have a meter and a half worth of depth. And so it's too, they need at least a meter and a half. Is that an overestimate on the city's part?
1: Yeah, we- the devices we use, we want to have a meter. We don't need a meter and a half. So long as we have you know three feet of depth where we can submerge and that uh, three feet depth where we can submerge our intake into, then we're fine. Um, so yeah, four, four and a half feet, or you know a meter and a half is more than we typically would need.
0: You've been listening to part two of the Ottawa Beaver Killings on the Fulcrum Radio Show. On this past episode, we spoke with Glenn Gower, the city councillor for Stittsville. We spoke to Nick Stowe, the city planner for the city of Ottawa. We were on a tour down the Trans-Canada Trail in Pool Creek with the Stittsville landkeepers. That's Anne Swanwick, Leslie McKay, and Catherine Clysdale. We also met with Ken McRae, who knows the land better than anybody, and Mike Callahan from the Beaver Institute. He knows beavers better than anybody. Tune in next week for the conclusion of the Ottawa beaver killings,
6: but first, here's a sneak peek. Uh, 10 to 12 or so years ago, uh, they, uh, uh, illegally uh, altered uh, a stream flowing out of uh, one part of the Goulburn provincially significant Goulburn wetlands complex into another part of that complex to the east uh they uh, uh stripped all of the vegetation away from it uh right
1: down to the uh, water's edge it's more likely to happen if the beavers are trapped because the beavers maintain the dams every night they'll uh, swim along them and try and detect leaks. And if they detect a leak, they'll patch it up. But if the beavers aren't there, um, then those leaks can expand and then you could have a dam blowout.
0: And how important are trees to that biodiversity? Trees are, are extremely important. <laughs> uh, uh... What, like, When we lose a tree, is it easy to just plant another one and... Uh...
3: Does that offset the tree we cut down? Absolutely not. There's a lot of science showing that uh, the benefits from trees to human beings, as well as to nature, increase exponentially with age. It's like a steep curve. When it's young, the benefits are minimal. When it's a tree like that tree that was cut down, that's... 180 years old the benefits are hugely more to replace a tree like that which was 180 years old would require hundreds of trees
0: tune in next week for the conclusion of the Ottawa beaver killings on the fulcrum radio show.